Welcome to Amnesty International's comedy podcast series. This year, Amnesty's had exclusive backstage access at two of the biggest events on the comedy calendar, the 2014 Edinburgh Festival Fringe and the Balham Comedy Festival in London. We'll be bringing you a series of interviews with some of the greatest stand-up comedians working today, and along with finding out about the business of laughter, we'll be chatting about life, politics and human rights. Today, we're backstage at the Balham Comedy Festival in London with the renowned comedian and satirist Marcus Brigstock. He'll be chatting about press intrusion, performing on crutches and his first time on stage. Marcus Brigstock, thank you for joining Amnesty International backstage at the Balham Comedy Festival. How are you? I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, yeah, I'm very well. And we, we saw your show, Je M'accuse, the other day. Mm. And uh, can you tell us a little about that? Yeah, I've I've done, written a new show which is um, fantastically indulgent because it's all about me. I've knocked on the head for the time being the satire, the raging, ranting and uh, spitting tax at the world in favour of telling stupid stories about myself. And uh, while I've done that, uh, we've seen the soft rise of fascism across Europe. <laughs> UKIP and Le Front National have risen to power. So it just goes to show, you know, uh, how much work I was doing to keep that at bay. But no, the show's, the show's fun and it's a little bit confessional, but not really. And it explores the trivial aspects of my life and then probably the most profound and uh, important part of my life so far mm. at the end. And um, we saw it last year, but this yeah. year it's been developed to include, yes. I don't want to give away the ending, yeah. but, you know, an excellent dance there routine. There was a very <laughs> big part of my life. Uh, I went through a very profound change when I was 17 years old, which, to cut a long story short, involved me halving my body weight in less than seven months. And uh, after that, I became a podium dancer. And at the end of the show, I attempt to recreate some, some of my early 90s shape throwing. It's fun. It's a well, fun way to do the show. I'm pretty sure you, you, you got a standing ovation, didn't you? From, uh, I did. I did. <laughs> they, like, they like my th- shape throwing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was very impressed. And it was Thanks, all, all 90s music, which was very yeah. nostalgic for me. Um, but your, your show has been marred by injury. It has been marred by injury. I did the show last year at the Edinburgh Festival and during the second show, I was so excited that I snapped my Achilles tendon during the show and then had to do the the remainder of the run on crutches and then uh, kind of got over that ready for this year and I'm touring the show any minute and uh, I snapped my cruciate ligament uh, going off a ski jump in January. Wow. So, yeah, I've been injured since this whole thing began, but uh, still doing it. It's and still fun. That was on the jump, wasn't it? That was it? on yeah. the jump, yeah. My first reality show, which was wow. an odd experience. For that. First and last oh, amazing. That. <laughs> uh, well, no, I mean, if I was offered something like the jump again, I'd do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Even though you're still in recovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be nine months before I'm fully able to walk again. And, you know, it was well worth it, man. I did wow. skeleton bobsleigh, two-man bob, speed skating, speed skiing, down downhill dual slalom everything it was incredible i was trained by olympians what a lucky man but so you must have been on crutches for quite a bit what yeah. was how, how was your microphone technique mixed it was <laughs> difficult to be on crutches and use a microphone it was all right i left the mic in the stand and then uh, i just kind of bust it and stood on one leg for a month classic <laughs> yeah 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 i'm such a trooper do you see what i go through amnesty <laughs> 
<laughs> so if I could take you back um, to the early days of yeah. Marcus Brigstock, uh, when did your interest in comedy first begin? Oh, um, interesting. I, well, from, from a kid, I mean, from the from my earliest memories, uh, sitting watching the two Ronnies and then um, Not the Nine O'Clock News and the Young Ones and, you know, just anything that made me laugh. And it was, oh, they, uh, 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 amazing. Hmm. And I, even as a child, I could remember great chunks of script. And then it was years later before I sort of put together the idea, oh, that's maybe a thing that I could do. I knew Raw and Delirious by Eddie Murphy. I could do the whole mm. thing. I knew the whole of Robin Williams live at the Met. And I hadn't studied them. I just watched them and went, that's funny. It's gone in. And then a friend of mine said to me, you should do comedy. And that was it. Mm. So, and it's a, you know, it's a beautiful job. There are, there are downsides to it you spend a lot of time on your own and the writing's difficult and you occasionally have bad gigs but it's a beautiful thing to do to make people laugh it's uh, a pleasure can you remember the first time you approached that microphone in yeah. front of a live audience How did i remember it, it well it was a mixed bag it was a uh, <laughs> i was booked for a comedy competition run by kiss fm and uh, it was a club in, in Hoban, and I was booked for seven minutes. And the first four minutes, I died on my ass. It really? was horrific. And then I ran out of all the props and stupid stuff that I'd come up with and started <laughs> actually talking and do, being myself and all the rest of it. And I turned it around. And that weirdly, that gig is probably one of the most dramatic turnarounds I've ever managed. Really? And again, oh. Turning a gig around once you've stunk the room out is really difficult. Yeah, yeah. I turned it around, and I, <laughs> I, I tell you what, I remember this. I walked off that stage from the first gig going, if I can do this for the rest of my life, I'll be happy. This is incredible. And they say... That your was first, first gig. Your first one's always the worst, they say, so it only oh, gets well, better. Four minutes of it sucked <laughs> and three minutes were good, so... And uh, would you say your comedy has changed over the years? Yeah, massively. And it keeps changing as well. And I, you know, I've always... I, I'm not purist about it and I don't... I actually I kind of resent the way in which people need the people whose work they like to exist in one place. Mm. I've been doing satirical, topical, angry, ranty stuff for a long time now. Before that, I didn't do any. While I've done that, I've written very silly sketch shows, children's stuff. Uh, I've done Giles Wembley Hogg Goes Off, which is sort of a satire in a way, but mostly just a bunch of silly jokes. So for me, you know, I write about the thing that, captures my attention at the time and uh i suppose it's not surprising having turned 40 last year that i would be a bit introspective and want to say some things about myself while i figure all of that out at mm. a changing time in my life and the sat the satirical stuff just goes on and on for me because the world needs needs people to yell at it mm. and as you say i mean over over the years your comedy has been politically charged yeah uh, in other countries around the world many comedians use this tool to say something important about the ruling regime yeah and do you think it's important for comedy to try and change uh, or inform people's thinking yes i think it's very important i i don't know whether as an ambition a comedian should set to change people's thinking but i think if that's somewhere in there, that's fine. I suppose for me, it's about exposing ideas that with even a small amount of examination fall apart. Hmm. Racism, homophobia, sexism are quite easy just to undo because you can just go, but, the, but, but you're a sentence, you're one sentence away from 
all your nonsense being exploded mm. because it's nonsense. It's demonstrably nonsense. And if you can make people laugh about that stuff, then I think you are saying, look, here's a silly thing. Let's hold this up. Let's shake all the rubbish out of it and see what's left. And the answer is usually nothing. Mm. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I think that... I think that as part of a narrative of any healthy uh, democracy or even, you know, outside of democracy at the moment, it's really important for people to find expression. Hmm. And if that happens to be in comedy, all to the good. I mean, one of the pluses for me with comedy is I know if I write a really great joke, people will remember it. And if that joke happens to be about something, then they've remembered the thing. Hmm. I mean, that's not my aim. My aim is just make them laugh. But if there happens to be something in there where they're mm. like, ah, ha, ha, then, you know. And I mean, you work on the Now Show, of course, don't you? Yeah. So that reaches, you know, About three million people. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so it's, a fair, it's a wide ranging. It's big. I'm doing yeah. a, new, a new show called The Briggs Society, which I did last year. And I'm writing a new series right now. And it, that's an interesting challenge because the idea is I promote myself into a position I wouldn't have. So I've been a drug dealer. I've been an MEP. Uh, this week I'm running a farm. Uh, I'm going to be head of the Bank of England. And the idea of doing that is, as a stand-up, I exist outside and I go, that's rubbish, he's stupid, she's doing that badly. Right? But if you put yourself in the position of responsibility in the thing, you suddenly go, ah, why is that difficult? Hmm. Oh, ha- well, wait a minute. Because I'm, I'm pro-European, right? Mm. But only because I'm an optimist. I mean, it's rubbish. <laughs> it's appalling, right? But it's the most ambitious democratic project any person has ever attempted since two blokes looked at a rock and went should we lift this up together (laughs) right it is it's incredible but they're about to pass the ttip the the trade uh, transatlantic trade thing Mm. that will just destroy a huge number of things that we think are really really important Mm. so i'm doing a show where i go in and look at nuance and look at um hopefully both sides of an argument and go but you know what the anti-europeans for all that i think they're batshit Mm. crazy uh if they're talking about this then i agree with them Mm. or you know whatever it may be if you're a drug dealer i think you're scum actually because you're probably committing people to a, a life that is spiraling out of control and you'll be responsible for some deaths as well but at the same time the illegality of drugs so it's kind of going in and looking at that difficult so, so it's a good insight into the kind of people you would normally uh, yeah attack just, on stage exactly yeah. yeah 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 and just try and be them for a day yeah i mean ask yourself what would it be like to be a politician you know i mean i shout them down all the time that's my job and i'm not going to stop just because i understand how difficult it is but it is difficult mm. it's so, really difficult when can we expect to see this on TV? it's on radio four and it oh, starts uh, in august and it'll it's uh, it's on for six weeks on Friday evenings. So, mm. Yeah, and you have done so much in your career. I mean, yeah. radio, television, theatre. What else is on your list? I hear you'd like uh-huh. to say you'd uh, make a UK version of the Daily Show. Yeah, that's always been an ambition. It saddens me. It saddens me that I'm not making it. But it saddens me more actually that we don't have one. Mm. We should have the Daily Show, or at the very least, we should have a version of what John Oliver. Uh, is now uh, making in the States a mm. weekly show, which is truly excellent. I, I made one called The Late Edition. And, you know, with scant resources, we did a great job. Mm. We really did. But uh, we should have a daily show. Mm. There's no reason why not. I'm also uh, in a campaign at the moment to change the 
laws uh, about uh, licensing of material from the Palace of Westminster. Hmm. You're, you can only see debates from the Palace of Westminster on the news. Right, You've yeah. never seen a clip on Have I Got News For You. You've never seen it on Mock The Week or on my show or anywhere else. Just not allowed. We're not allowed. Right. And that's, we, we pay for the Palace of Westminster and we pay for them to debate on our behalf. The debate, the material, and they in that role belong to us. Hmm. And so that should be uh, satirable, hmm. in my opinion. And I don't think that that would uh, convince people that politicians are worthless. I think actually it would engage people hmm. more closely in that. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to achieve that. Because they do it in other countries, don't they? But yeah, in the States, hmm. you can have whatever you want. Yeah. So Amnesty International defends and promotes freedom of expression, but the yeah. press often use the right as a defence for their stories. Now, mm. having been on the receiving end of uh, tabloid intrusion occasionally, mm-hmm. um, do you think they should be more tightly regulated? Yes, I do. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm uh, a keen supporter of Hacked Off. And here's why. Um, it seemed apparent to everybody that an inquiry needed to happen because everybody, including the press, went, yeah, this has gone a bit bad. So they appointed a judge, Lord Justice Leveson, and nobody said, that guy, that crazy old loon, that anti-democratic, that anti-press nutcase, that left-wing lunatic, that stifler of the freedom of speech, everyone went, yeah, okay. He seems like a good guy. And he listened to 16 months of evidence and submitted a report, fully aware of what the consequences of that report would be because he's a judge and he got there. And it seems to me he got there through very legitimate means. I can't think at the moment of a person I'd be more inclined to listen to than that guy. Hmm. Why would I? So I would be all right with... um, with some regulation hmm. of our press and I don't buy the hysterical arguments and I, I resent them being used by the press to suggest that they will forever be uh, at the beck and call of government and all the rest of it. Hmm. So for that reason, I, I support Act Off and I would like to see Lev- Leveson's recommendations hmm. enacted in full. And talking of the tabloid press, they seem to be regularly uh, bashing uh, human rights. Mm. Uh, can you tell me why you think human rights are important? Because oh, I'm a human. I'm selfish. I'm a human. That's why human rights are important. I'm one. If you are, then your rights, I suppose, are important as well, but not as important as mine. <laughs> it, it is pretty damn simple, mm. actually. You know, I mean, I suppose the way that we define those rights uh, needs, obviously, needs nuance. It needs subtlety. It needs clear thought and all the rest of it. But the right for freedom of expression, the right for freedom of religious practice, much as it irks me, Mm. uh, the right to love who you want to love, marry uh, who Mm. who you want to marry, it seems to me perfectly obvious that... um, the same rules should apply to everybody and that those rules should be wherever possible just to make it easy for people to exist and do the thing they do. Hmm. We're responsible in a society for each other and and for where we need to, regulating the way in which the choices we make might hurt other people. That's the role of a society. But fundamentally, it's, it just seems obvious to hmm. me. But hmm. then it would, you see, because I live in the UK and it's, we're lucky here. 
Hmm. We're really lucky, like comedians here especially. I, I said this the last time I spoke to Amnesty. We really do have freedom of expression. We really do. There is nothing you cannot talk about. I wish comedians took more responsibility for the choices they mm. made. And if they blunder into a subject that matters to people, make their own choices about what they're going to not say. Because yeah. that's really important. But there's nothing you can't say in the UK. We're really, really lucky. Is there anything you've regretted joking about? Um, yeah, yeah, actually, uh, there is. I made a very... Um, I used to end my show years ago with a thing. This is before 2000. I used to say, as we approach the millennium, uh, you know, it's, it can be scary for everybody. And, um, um, you know, th th we'll, we'll be all right. I suppose the key thing to remember is never forget Noel Edmonds killed a man. Thank you and good night. And I walked off stage and it always got a laugh, you know. And then one night I was in a bar and a guy came up to me and went, that was my dad. Wow. And I went, what, what, who was, what do you mean, who was your dad? And he went, the guy that died, the guy that died on the Late Late Breakfast show, I think mm. it was. And I just went, wow, yuck. Yeah. And I offered to buy him a drink and he said no and he walked away. And then about 20 minutes later he came up and he went, yeah, go on then, buy me a drink. And we sat and talked and all the rest of it. And I'm very glad we did. Mm. And I still make jokes, I'm sure, where the victim is somewhat undeserving but mm. it gave me pause for thought yeah because somewhere the the trivial things you say they, they could really hurt somebody mm. and i think that really matters sometimes you say a thing that will offend a person profoundly yeah and they may cry they may be very upset they may be very angry they may want to physically hurt me and i'm fine with that that's mm. fine but the ones that are a bit thoughtless and just a little jab yeah. into nowhere they matter you know, so uh, I'm, I try to be careful about, mm. about that stuff. There's plenty of things I regret. Yeah. Plenty. I thought I'd done enough research to talk about a, a single aspect of Judaism. It was something Christopher Hitchens had, had believed. So I thought, well, if Hitch does, good enough for me. And it turned out to be entirely right, wrong and, yeah. uh, and part of an ongoing anti-Semitic oh, thing. Really? And I just, I said it, it got broadcast. And then some Jewish people went, no. Mm. And so I had to apologize in the Jewish Chronicle, which I did very quickly. Mm. And I was genuinely sorry for helping to support, a, you know, an ugly myth mm. that, that wasn't true. It's important. But I think things. it's good that you're aware of the effect that you, you could have. You have to be. Yeah. It's important. You, and look, I'm not going to get it all right. Mm. And, and also, I will change my mind about things, you know, things that I was politically absolutely sure of. I will change my mind mm. as circumstances change and all the rest of it. But the responsibility is important. You know, I don't think that freedom of expression is a privilege uh, as such, but I do think it's special. I mm. do think it's something that you need to treat with respect. Yeah. And Amnesty International has just launched its Global Stop Torture campaign. As part of a survey carried out, we discovered that more than a third of people thought torture was justified in certain circumstances. Kiefer Sutherland. Does that surprise Kiefer. you? Kiefer. Kiefer is to blame for this. Single-handedly, <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland did this. <laughs> the 24 I watched effects. 24, yeah. and I loved season one of 24. It was about the most exciting thing ever. But then it made me aware of something. If you already know the guy's a bad guy... You will watch and you will go, whatever you need to do to that prick is fine with me because I already know he's a bad guy. But what if in the real world, the assumption is we already know you're a bad guy. Mm. That's not okay. 
And Kiefer Sutherland, and he produced the show, it's why I keep saying his name, <laughs> he produced the show as well as starring in it, crossed a line. The US military wrote to Fox and said, we have a problem with GIs showing up thinking they're allowed to do stuff because they've seen 24. Hmm. You know, it's obviously not just Kiefer Sutherland, but that's worrying. Hmm. You know, we do live in times where, for example, Hamas have the... Uh, the stated case they would like to drive the Jews into the sea and exterminate all of them. So for all Israel's behavior sickens me. They are dealing with an enemy who would like to kill all of them. That's really difficult. It's really complicated, nuanced stuff. Torture won't make it any less complicated. Mm. Torture won't make it any less nuanced and torture will not bring about peace. It will not bring an end to anything, nor, by the way, will senseless violence and all the rest of it. So it doesn't surprise me that far too many people think that torture is okay under certain circumstances. I'm quite sure, by the way, if a member of my family were in immediate danger, I would change my view if I thought I could get an answer out of you by hurting you mm. as to where they were and to make them safe. But that's precisely why we don't leave decisions to single people. Yeah. How oh, finally, to end on a lighter note, Marcus. Yeah, yeah, come on. So you've... Uh, Let's you've brighten been... this shit up, yo. <laughs> you've <laughs> been playing at the Bedford in Balham for how many years? Oh, well, uh, since the mid-90s, so about 20 years or something. Wow, and what, what does it mean to you? I love this place. It's great. I've just moved to Balham. So uh, this is going to be more and more important to me. It, it, this, is a, this is a unique little club here. Um, not so little, actually, in that it's in a, just a bit of London. And here it is. This could be anywhere, but it isn't. It's in Balham. And they do two shows a night. And both rooms are full with amazing comedians who really want to come and play here because they've always loved it. Because it's just a well-run place where the audience gets it. So I love it. I love it. And the comedy festival's great. Because what they did here is they said, mm, uh, recession's kicked in. Fewer people are coming to the, um, to the live shows. What do we do? Do we cut back? Ah, no, we do the exact opposite. We throw ourselves at this. And, uh, and we put on a festival and we go, here we are. Here's a great thing for you, everybody. Come and see this. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it works. It brings mm. people to the club the rest of the year. The government should look at this model. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Marcus, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Us. Uh, your show was amazing. I can't wait to see you Thanks, up in Edinburgh. Yeah. And I just hope you don't sustain any more injuries oh, in the course of no comedy. No more injuries. <laughs> thank you very much. If you're interested in learning more about human rights or joining Amnesty International, then please go to our website, amnesty.org.uk. And make sure you don't miss our next episode. Here's a sneak peek. If I were in power for a day, I would immediately bring in a massively complex Bill of Rights to stop me from doing the things that I would do if I were in power. Because I think that's the thing about power, it needs to be restrained. Because, because there's all things that we would do if we had power, but that doesn't mean that we should do those things. You know, I'm quite a vengeful person. I would, I'd be like Strelnikov in Dr. Zhivago. All sorts of people would be, would be jailed if I were in power.